Well, good morning and welcome to Better Life Church. We are so thankful that you took time out of your busy morning just to take a moment uh, to worship with us. No matter where you're located all over the world, we just want to welcome you here to Better Life Church right here in eastern Kentucky. You know, we are just so thankful for what God is doing uh, through our church body and how you guys have been ministering to people in our community. I'm just so proud of you guys. I'm so proud to be your pastor. I just want to encourage you, keep up the great work. Keep on serving people and blessing people being generous to people, and we're so excited to launch at COVID Care KY to really to make a difference, not only here in Moorhead, but in this region and abroad. And so I want you to go check out that website. We really believe that God's going to use it to really bless this region. You know, when we started the church, that was one of the things on our heart, that we wanted to be a church that was so generous, that blessed a community, that blessed the region, that if for some reason the church stopped existing, if we just stopped existing as a church, that the community would recognize and know is that something was missing because of the faithfulness of God's people, because of the generosity of God's people really making a difference. So I just want to take a moment and just say thank you guys so much for what you're doing. And I am so thankful for how God is using you and going to continue to use you, even through a crisis, to reach the world. You know, next week is our Easter weekend experience. And we were hoping uh, that we would be able to meet together as a church family and really just come back together as a church body and community community of faith and really just lift up Jesus and song and praise and his word. And I just see tons of people give their life to Jesus. And we were anticipating over 4,000 people showing up at one of our locations across this region. And we were just so excited about it. But you know what? The more I think about it, even though we can't meet together physically in a room or in a building, and we know this, we say this all the time, the church is not a building. We are church. We don't go to church. We bring the church to a facility. But here I was thinking about this. And you know, me, right? The glass is always half full. I was sitting there thinking, you know, we were going to reach thousands of people on our Easter weekend experience. But you know what? I thought about it. We now have the power and the influence to reach tens of thousands of people because of you. That's right, because of you. Because you're going to be at home next Sunday, and you're going to be with your family, and you're going to be sitting there. And you know, because the power of technology, think about it. If you'll just scroll through Facebook and look at all the friends you have. If you'll scroll through Twitter or whatever social media account you're on, Instagram, look at all the friends that you have. Now, honestly, some of them you don't know, right? Some of you have no idea. You just had them as friend. And some of us, we have kind of like those creepy type friends from high school that says, remember me? We sit in the homeroom. Like, no, I don't know. You get away. <laughs> and they're your friends, but you added them anyway because you graduated from high school together. Listen, think about it. Go look how many friends you have. Now, whether they're your friends or not, doesn't matter. They're in a circle of influence for you to influence them. And so next Sunday, here's what I want you to do. We're going to be streaming the Easter worship experience all day, all multiple times throughout the day. So find a time that fits for you. Get with your family and watch it. But here's what I want you to do. The moment before you start watching it, if you're watching on Facebook, create a watch party. And say, guess what? Invite your friends to watch it with you. Share it to all your friends. Go public with it. Share it. Whether you're on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, doesn't matter. Get the link copy the link, share it to all your friends. Because watch this, if you imagine maybe over 4,000 people who are going to show up next weekend at one of our locations, if every one of them would just share it, just get the word out. So don't just sit at home with just your family. Invite people, call your aunt, your uncle, your grandma, people who may be in shut-ins that can't get out in nursing home and places that may have access to technology. Say, hey, I want you to join us for our Easter experience online. And telling you what, I think, I thought more and more about it. We have the power and the influence to reach thousands of people. Why? 
Because you sitting at home, taking a phone, copying a link, sharing a link, pasting a link, thousands of people, watch this, has the power to hear the gospel because of you. So don't think that you're ineffective. Don't think you can't do nothing. Don't think because you don't have an invite card that you can't invite someone. Are you kidding me? Pick your phone up, grab it, share the link. You have the power to reach family and friends who may never come to a facility but would pick up their phone or a computer or an iPad or their TV and watch it. Please, as your pastor, get the word out. Let people know that it's coming. And again, I cannot wait to see how God's going to show up next weekend, Easter weekend. It's going to be amazing. And I hope, hope that you not only would join us, but you would share and get the message out. We're in our final message and our final uh, uh, part of this series called Spring Cleaning. I hope the Lord's used it to grow your faith. I hope He's used it in your life to increase your walk with Him. It's been a great study. I've really enjoyed going through it and taking time and studying different verses and different passages to get to this. And I hope the Lord has used it in your life as well. And maybe since it's called spring cleaning, you've been at home for a while, maybe you got some spring cleaning done. Maybe you got some things around the house to do while you're listening to the book of James or studying the book of James together. If you missed it, let me give you a quick uh, recap. And in James chapter one, in the first week, I said, there are problems when we come our way, and when we have problems, there's a purpose for every problem. That you will have trouble in this world, you'll have trials, you'll have tribulation, and whoever thought that week, one of the biggest decisions we had to make was whether we're going to have church or not the next Sunday. You're talking about a trial. You're talking about pressure. You're talking about should we do this, should we not? Do we make the call, do we not? And we decided as a staff, as a team, and said, you know what? For the, for the sake of our community of faith and the best way we can show that we love them is to say stay at home. Who'd ever thought that we'd be having online church, virtual discipleship, virtual connections? And honestly, we have no clue how long this may last. And so we don't have to get down about that. We can leverage this crisis to our advantage and use this to really minister to people who may never ever will come to a building, but they will come to your watch party. They may come uh, watch a link that you send them. There are a purpose for our problems. Now, we don't know all the purpose, but here's what I want to encourage you to do in the moment of this crisis. God, what do you want to teach me? Right now, what do you want to teach me about what's going on in the world? God, speak to me. What do you want to do in me? See, we want God to change them and help them and do that and fix that. But God, do something to me. God, what do you want to teach me through this? And then we went to James chapter 2, talking about real faith. And real faith chooses to trust. We don't have to panic. We don't have to panic. We're going to choose to trust. We can have peace in the midst of panic. James chapter 3, we talked about there's power in your words. Your words have the power to build up or tear someone down. If you missed that, go back and watch it. If you're married... And you're just joining with us. Please go back and watch James 3. Because a lot of problems and married problems come from the words that come out of our mouth. Why do we say the things we say to the people that we love? There's an there's a antidote there. I talked about how do we fix that and where does that come from? Last week, one of my favorite messages that we did in this series was how to plan your future. That you can't predict your future. But how do you plan your future? Most of us, we plan our futures without God. I'll marry who I want to marry. I'll date who I want to date. I'll major in what I want to major in. I'll go to what college I want to go to. I'll take whatever job I want to take. I'll retire when I want to retire. And then we say, God, sprinkle your blessings. It doesn't work that way. How do I get before God and say, God, help me in my plans and planning my future? I definitely want you to check, check that out. And today, we're in James chapter 5. 
James chapter 5. So grab your Bible, grab your workbook, grab your notebook, whatever you have. Take your phone. We're going to take some notes. We're in James chapter 5, last chapter, last part of this series. And we're going to be focusing on verses 13 through 18. But as you read through James chapter 5, really quickly, verses 1 through 5 talks about and warns people, don't hoard your riches. Now, a lot of people think they're not rich. I get that because rich is a moving target. It doesn't matter. If you, what you make now, you don't feel like you're rich. But if you had this amount of money, you'd be rich. And if you made that much money, you thought you'd be rich. And they said, no, I'm not rich. I need this amount. Rich is a moving target. In fact, over 1%. If you make over $40,000 a year as a family, a household income, as a family, you're in the top 1% wealthiest people on the planet. Folks were rich. We, we even have houses for our cars. They're called garage. Most people don't park in them. You fill it full of junk. That's another problem, right? But he talks about don't hoard it. Yes, save it. Absolutely, the Bible says save, but not to hoard it, thinking you're going to use it just for you. So if you struggle with that, maybe greed, check out 1 through 5. It's going to be a good one, a warning from James. Then we get to verse 7 and 12. He talks about how to be patient while suffering. See, some of you right now, you feel like you're suffering. Suffering because you can't get out of the house. Suffering because you're trying to learn how to homeschool. You know, I'm suffering because I can't get to the grocery store when I need. I'm suffering because I don't know what's going on in the world. And listen, he says there's, there's, a, there's a purpose there. There's a patience. How to have patience in the midst of suffering. Some of you feel like are maybe suffering right now. You need to read James 7 through 12. How do we have patience while we suffer? And now we get to verse 13. And I'm really excited about this. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through verse 13 and 18 together. And I want to encourage you, grab your Bible. I'm using the New Living Translation. And we're going to walk through this uh, verse by verse. We're going to stop and talk about it just for a moment. And then we're going to summarize how do we really have an effective, effective prayer life. So if you're ready to get started, so let's go. I can't hear you. you got to say it loud enough. So let's go. All right, here we go. All right, here we go. James chapter 5. Let's look at verse 13. It says this. Any, are any of you suffering hardships? If so, you should pray. Now let's just stop. I'm going to stop right there. Are any one of you suffering hardships? Now you may say, Pastor, I am suffering hardship. That word means to suffer in misfortune. Like something just happened to you and you're in the midst of suffering. Something may happen. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe your job has been furloughed. Maybe you're not getting paid what you thought. Maybe you're now on unemployment. Maybe that someone in your family member is sick. Maybe, you know, what do you do when hardships come your way? James says, you pray. You pray. When we sit together as a team, we all got together staff, and that week we're deciding whether we're going to have church or not, and we're all scattered out six feet apart in, in the auditorium here. And, and Pastor Trevor said, he, he kind of stood up and said, listen, man, all we got to do is pray. We got to pray. We need to pray. And that just really stuck with me because sometimes we think, well, that's the given thing to do, right? When people say, well, all you can do is pray. Folks, listen, that's all you can do anyway. That's all that we have. We think that we think the whole world is out of our control right now. The whole world's out of control and we're out of control. Listen to me. It's an illusion. We, people, were never in control in the first place. God is in complete, complete control. If hardship comes our way, he says, pray. Are you distressed? Pray. Are you trying to figure out how to homeschool your kids and work at home at the same time? Pray. He says, are you hurting emotionally? Are you suffering emotionally from all what's going on? Pray. Is life hard right now? Pray. Are you afraid of getting sick? Pray. If you are suffering hardship, here's what James says. Pray. Is that not so basic? See, we think we want a magic pill, magic formula. If you just give me these three things, we'll do and all of it goes away. James says, no, you want the, here's the formula. Pray. You need to get before God and pray. Just as David did in Psalms 18. It says, when David was distressed, he called out to the Lord. Then he says in verse 13, he says this, are any of you happy? Are any of you happy? What do you do? 
you should sing praises. Now, what are praises? Praises is another form of prayer. When you praise, it's another form of prayer to God. Like one of the greatest things you could do in your prayer life is praise Him. It's to sing praises to Him. The greatest thing that your mouth can ever do is praise the Lord. And so right now, if you're happy, I would praise Him. Listen to me. I'm going to go a step further and say, even if you're not happy, praise Him. There's something about the power of praise that begins to break the bondage and the things around you. It puts things in perspective even while you're suffering. So no matter where you're going through in your life right now, I want to encourage you to praise Him. Because praise is a form of prayer. It's a, it's, a, it's a form of communicating and talking to God as we sing songs about Him, as we sing songs to Him. And the Bible is full of people breaking out in praise in the midst of suffering. Remember Paul? They're in jail, the first jailhouse rock. It's midnight, and God gave them a song of praise. Job talks about that, that even in the midst of darkness, God at midnight will give you a song of praise because there's some, something powerful when you praise the Lord, especially in the midst of trouble, trials, or suffering. Now, verse 14, any of you sick? Is any one of you sick? Then you should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. Don't miss that. The Lord is the one that does that. Not me. The Lord does. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Now, I wish I had time to really jump into this verse and walk you all the way through it because there's a lot of things that go back and forth. Where if you're sick, I want to be healed with oil, and have got a runny nose, I want to be healed with oil. Hey, hey, you know what? I got a little bit of back pain. Would you would you heal me with oil? What is the context? Now, I'm all about prayer, and every time you're sick, anything, we definitely want to pray in any way we can pray. But don't. But the context when you look at it here, he says, if you are sick. Now that word sick means this: you're on your deathbed, like you are homebound. You are bed rested. You cannot move. That's why you call for them to come. Now, don't miss who actually calls for the people to pray. The one who was sick. See, a lot of times the people sometimes get sick. They're waiting for someone to show up to pray for them. Guess who's the one who calls for it? The sick person. You know, one time I was talking to a guy and, and he came to me and he said, Pastor, I love the church. I love everything about the church. I, I love what's going on. This was several years ago. And he said, I, I really love what's, what's going on and I love listening to you preach and this is great, all this stuff. And we're at a, we're at a game. We're at, a, the, a, at the, like a baseball field and we're sitting here and he looks at me. He says, but I got one problem. <laughs> just one? Awesome, man. If you just got one problem in attending our church, that is awesome, right? One problem. And he says, he looked at me square in the face. He looked at me and he says, you don't know me, and that bothers me. And you've heard me say this over and over. We're not going to know everyone here at Better Life Church, but you need to know someone. But for this gentleman, he says, you don't know me. And he said this to me. He said, someday I'm going to die, and who is going to preach my funeral? Because you don't know me. Which, first of all, I don't have to know you to preach a funeral, right? We know that. Because if I'm going to preach anybody's funeral, your funeral, anybody's funeral, when I get up, I'll let someone talk about you. I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to talk about what Jesus is doing in your life. But for this guy, it was all about he wanted to be known and he wanted to be known by me. And I thought a lot about that. I thought about, listen, as the church gets larger, we know this, you know, we didn't know that maybe 4,000 people are going to show up for Easter and how something like that may work and, and, and thousands of people showing up. You're not going to know everyone here at Better Life Church, but you need to know someone. You need community where people are going to pray for you. In the context, it was someone who is sick and they cannot get out of bed. They can't make it to a place 
So they call for people to come and they would pray for them. That sick means literally they cannot get up. That's why they say pray over them because they're down. Don't miss that in the text. It says pray over them because they're not able to stand up. Then if you look through the New Testament, there are actually three kinds of sickness. Again, I don't have time to really jump into all this. But when you look through the New Testament, there's a sickness for death. There's a day that we will get sick and we will die. That's a given. One out of one people die. It happens. It's just going to happen. Then there's a sickness of discipline. We see this in the Corinthians church, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Because people were sinning, God allowed and disciplined them with sickness. Now, when I say that, don't run and be afraid and be scared because I'm going to talk about this in a moment. Like, oh my gosh, I'm sick. God must be disciplining me. Like, that, that's why I'm sick. Well, we'll talk about this in a moment. And then there's a sickness in the New Testament that God says, we talk about, you'll hear about this a little bit even next week, is that there's a sickness because God is going to get glory from it. God wants to get glory for what's about to happen. And that's what we see when we look through the New Testament. So just that's just something for you to go and study and look and research too on your own. But then it says anoint them with oil. Now this has been thrown all over the place. Some people carry oil with them. Some people, is it vegetable oil? What kind of oil? Is it olive oil? You know, what type of oil should I have? Should I carry oil with me? Should I always anoint? What is the purpose of oil? Well, there's two interpretations. One, oil is medicine. It was a balm that they would put on to soothe someone who was sick, hurt, wounded, or dying. And so it was a form of medicine. And so when you see the text, it's like, hey, there's some oil, there's some medicine at work, and I am not anti-medicine. There is some medicine that works. But listen, coupled with prayer can work miracles. Call the elders to pray, right? Anoint them with oil. It's soothing them as they may be dying, as they're wounded, as it heals them. It's a medicine part there. And so don't, don't get caught up in all in that. It was a part of a medicine as they move forward and pray with them. That is one way to look at it. And most likely that is probably the context of it. But also oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And so James could be saying, hey, it's the medicine and coupled with prayer, but don't miss it. He says, but only the Lord is the one that heals it. The medicine is not what done it. The Lord does it. My prayer is not what done it. Because, folks, I've laid my hands on people and prayed with them on their deathbed, and I've seen God just completely heal them. But I've also prayed for people on their deathbed and begged God to heal them, and they died the very next day. It's not in me. Only God is the healer. No matter how much faith I may mustered up, no matter how much oil that you may be anointed with, if you look at it in that context, or the oil is, hey, with the power of the Holy Spirit, with men praying, anointing with oil, oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, and men praying over you, then there could be miracles performed in your life. Whichever camp you want to fall in that, just understand in the context was in this day, oil was just a representation of a soothing of a balm of, of medicine and oil also represents the Holy Spirit. Just something for as you study. But, but don't miss it says it will heal them or some translation says it will rise up, which means this, they will get back to their feet. Why? Because they're bed rested. This is someone who's like, they cannot get out in prayer. Someone has to go to them and pray. And bed rest. And it says, and the Lord will raise them up and get them back up. But don't when you pray, James goes on and says, pray in the name of the Lord. It's the Lord that does the healing. The Lord is the one that heals. Now listen, why do people suffer? Why do people get sick? Why do people die? Theologically, it's because sin has entered into the world. Our entire planet is warped by sin. I have been warped by sin. Our planet don't even work right. It's been warped by sin. When we're looking at all the uh, natural disasters and everything that happens, listen, this, even the world is warped by sin. That's your theological answer. But why does God heal someone 
and not someone else? Why doesn't God heal everyone? Please hear me. I don't know. I don't know. Here's what I do know. God has the power to heal, but God also has a purpose for every individual life. And I have no idea what God's purpose is for every individual's life. But here's what I do know. God has the power. He has the power to do it, but I don't know his purpose behind every single one of them. So with that said, James says in verse 16, then confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, there's one thing that I, I left out back up here in verse 15. Uh, verse 15, it says, if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. In this context, this person has been sick because most likely of sins they have committed or something they've done. And now they're calling for people to come out and pray over them and say, hey, I want to make this right. I want to be healed. I want to, I want to, I want to be, I want to do that. And then we get to the context. He says, so that if you have any sins, confess it to each other. Pray for each other. Don't miss this. This only happens in community. That's why you need people. You will not know everyone at Better Life Church, but you need to know someone. I am so glad right now that you're watching this online. And some of you may be tempted when we're able to get back into fellowship with each other and get back into like physical home groups and small groups to say, you know what? I like this virtual stuff that's happening and that's great. This is a supplement for you as we do online, but it doesn't replace the position of the local church or your group. You need people in your life and you need to do life with people. Why? So you confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Don't miss that. That's plural. That's the body confessing to the body and the body praying for the body. I'm not your priest. You don't have to go confess to a priest. Jesus is our high priest. When you sin, you confess to Jesus. If it's private sin, you keep it private, you confess it. If it's public sin, you make it public and you confess it. That's the how I look at it. That's how I see it. You sin against somebody else, you confess it to the person and make it public around. You don't broadcast your sin, you confess your sin to one another, especially if you have sin against them. A mentor of mine said to me a long time ago, he says, if you want to be forgiven, confess your sin to God. He says, but if you want to feel forgiven, confess your sin to someone else. And I'm telling you what, that has rung true over and over and over in my life. Because there are times in my life I confess and I know God's forgiven me, but I just don't feel it. But then I share that sin that I committed with someone that's close to me in my life or accountability to me. And I tell you what, just by confessing that, I feel so much better. And so I want you to practice that. Confess your sins to one another. That's why you get in groups and, and know each other and do life with each other so you can say, hey, guys, I'm struggling with this. Hey, look, I'm struggling with this. Hey, hey, I did this this way. I talked to my wife this way. And I should, hey, my wife and I are struggling. And I said something. I know I should. And I just need to confess that. And I need you to hold me accountable. You don't know what that does when you humble yourself, James says, then God will exalt you. In James 4, we read that last week. And then in verse 16, don't miss this. The earnest prayer, and here's what I want to focus. That was all introduction. That was the Bible said. Let's get to the sermon, right? The earnest prayer of a righteous person, and I know some of you know this, right? The, the effective prayer of a righteous person available much. I know this. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results or miracles or God just shows up in a great way. Don't miss this. Earnest prayers. This is persistency. This is the person, I'm going to keep praying, 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 I'm going to keep knocking, I'm going to keep knocking, I'm going to keep seeking, I'm going to keep asking. 
As Jesus even told us, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. The earnest prayer, the person says, I'm not just going to pray one time. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray every day. God protect me. I'm going to pray every day. God protect my family. I'm going to pray every day that God shows up and gets glory for this. I'm going to pray every day that someday there'll be a vaccine for this. I'm going to pray every day for those who are sick. I'm going to pray every day for those in elective officials and our government and people that are to make the best and wisest. I'm going to pray. Why? Because persistency in prayer, not just a one time. It's earnest prayer over and over and over. But don't miss this part right here of a righteous man, a righteous person, or a righteous Man of God, a righteous woman of God. What does it mean to be righteous? It doesn't mean to be perfect because you know you're not perfect. Some of you watch right now, you think you're perfect. I know you do. In fact, look at the person beside you and ask them, say, do you think I'm perfect? They will be honest with you. Please be honest with the person who thinks they're perfect. You're not going to be perfect. None of us are perfect. It doesn't mean you'll be sinless. How many of you blew it this week? How many blew it already today? Before you even got to watch church online, right? 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 You're not going to be sinless. That's not what he's saying. He's saying a righteous person is blameless. Now, what's the difference between sinless and blameless? Now, when I gave my life to Jesus, he completely forgave me of all my sins. My past, my present, my future. The Bible shows that. The Bible teaches that. You can see it clearly over and over and over. All my sins. Everybody say all. All. You know what that means in the Greek? All. All my sins. All my sins when Jesus died were future sins. I haven't even committed them yet. I wasn't even born yet. He's forgiven me of all my sins. Then why do we confess our sins then as Christians? Well, John tells us in 1 John 1, 9, the reason why. He says, if you will confess, God will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Not for my relationship with him. I've talked about this before. But my fellowship between the Lord. Sin breaks my fellowship. It don't change my relationship. I'm adopted into the family. I'm his son. You're his daughter. My relationship's secure, but my fellowship between me and God gets broken when I got sin in my life. And you know when you have sin in your life, why? Because you don't want to talk to God about it. You want to run and hide, just like Adam and Eve did. You just want to hide because you feel guilty or dirty or something in your life. A righteous person is someone, I would like to use this word, that has rapid repentance. When you sin and blow it, you confess it. God, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have thought that. I shouldn't have looked at that. I shouldn't have done that. <clears throat> Rapid repentance. And when you do that, it restores fellowship. And when you do that, that makes you, watch this, you're walking blameless because there's nothing between you and God. Do you know you can do that right now? We don't have to go any further. Right now, you can do this. One, you can be completely forgiven of all your sins and adopted into the family of God. How do you do that? You confess your sins with your mouth. You believe in your heart that God raised, you, raised Christ from the dead. Right now, you can be saved from all your sins. Right now, if you're a Christian, you can walk blameless today before the Lord. Get before the Lord when this message is over with and say, God, search my heart. Is there any sin between me and you? Is there any wickedness between me? Is there anything that I need to confess? And when he, the Holy Spirit, pinpoints that in your life, you can confess it right then. And watch this. You can stand up and be blameless. That's what that means. And it, the blameless person, the righteous person, prayers can do miracles, can do wonders if you what? will walk blameless before the Lord. Not sinless, you won't be sinless. Not perfect, you won't be perfect. But I can be blameless. I can be someone who is righteous. And to prove his point, James turns to one of the greatest prophets, Elijah. And listen to what he says. He said in verse 17, Elijah was a human as we are. Don't miss that. Just like me and you. Elijah is no different than me and you. Yes, he was a great prophet, man of God. But there was no difference between me. Nothing special, nothing unique. 
He was just like you. He's just like me. He struggled through what he struggled with. We saw him struggling with anxiety. We saw him struggling with depression. We saw him struggling with there's no purpose more more for his life. Everything that you and I at this time in our life go through, he did it. And he uses him as an example. He's just a human. And yet when he prayed earnestly, when he kept on praying over and over and over that no rain will fall, no, watch this, none fell for three and a half years. Is that not crazy? Homeboy prays that nobody's going to rain for three and a half years and don't rain. That is insane. Verse 18. Then he prayed again, that and the sky sent down rain, and the earth begins to yield its crops. Now, I don't have time to go through 1 Kings 17 through 18. I want to encourage you, read that sometime today. Read that, read that sometime this week. 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Kings 17 through 18. Long story short, the Israelites because of King Ahab and Jezebel, led them to worship Baal, a false god. And because they worship a false god, Elijah said, God, stop the rain. God, stop the rain for three and a half years when no crops can grow. And he began to discipline the Israelites because they turned their back on God. And all of a sudden, on top of Mount Carmel, there was a showdown. Who's God? Who's got the best God? All the prophets of Baal got together, all the people, and they prayed for God to come down, the little G God to come down and, and light a fire on the altar and burn it up. It didn't. Elijah steps up in one time in one prayer and says, God, show them. God, come down and destroys them in fire. It's great. It's awesome. Probably not a good bedtime story to tell your kids at nighttime, just saying. But it was crazy. If you read about what happens, it's unbelievable to see how God, because one man, just like me and you, prayed. God brought fire down because he prayed. But the Israelites still needed it to rain. And so what James says, he goes back up on top of this mountain and he begins to pray. God, I know you hear me. Will you allow it to rain? And the Bible tells us that he prayed seven times. Now, we know there's something very fascinating about seven. We talk about numbers all the time, right? This is whole. This is, on the seventh time, he sent his servant down, and a cloud came up out of the sea. It's like small of a hand. Uh, the Bible says like a hand uh, uh, of a human, of a man. And this cloud came up, and all of a sudden, the rain began to come. Why? Because he prayed seven times in earnest persistence. God, let it rain. God, let it rain. God, let it rain. God, let it rain. God, bring the rain. God, bring the rain. And on the seventh time, it rained. Why? Because the earnest prayer of a blameless, righteous woman or man of God can perform miracles in your life and in the lives around you. And James wants us to know, you want to have an effective prayer life? You keep praying, and you walk blameless before the Lord. And just like a man, human, just like me and you, named Elijah, God will show up and perform miracles in your life and in the people around you. So quickly, as we end this series, as we end today's message, how can I pray effectively? How can I do that? You know, James gives us this all the way through the book of James. There's so much good stuff in the book of James. I mean, we can literally, I am no joke, we could probably take the whole book of James and preach through it word for word, verse by verse for 52 Sundays. No doubt about it. There is so much good stuff in it. It's so applicable to our life. But as we conclude this, I want to share with you really quickly, as you can see, how can I pray effectively? James tells us scattered all the way through the book of James. This is so good. Here's the first thing. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. If you want to have an effective prayer life, you want to pray effectively, here's the first thing you do. I must ask. I just must ask. 
Is that, am I saying it? You know the reason why some of us don't have wisdom? We don't ask. You know the reason why God doesn't show up and perform miracles? We don't ask. We don't think he'll answer our prayer. We don't think God cares about us. We don't think God's going to go through. We don't think God wants to provide for me a job. We don't think God wants to heal someone who's sin. We don't think God wants to, and we don't even ask. Jesus says, you have not because you ask not. Just ask. You want to pray effectively? Just start asking. Asking God. James says this in James chapter 4, verse 2. Look what he says. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask for it. Wouldn't that be so sad? Now, I'm not saying this is going to happen. I mean, you've heard people say stories about it. But wouldn't it be so sad? And one day we, we, we get to heaven and we're, we're home in glory. And we look at all the things that could have happened if we just asked God. Now, I don't think that's really going to happen. God's going to say, I'm going to show you, son. If you'd have prayed and asked for it, I would have done this in your life. Oh, really? Now you tell me? I don't think that's going to happen. But imagine like all the things we miss out because we just don't ask. All the miracles we don't see because we just don't ask. Ask. Begin to ask God to do miracles in our community. Begin to ask God to use us to be a beacon at, through COVID, care, KY, to minister to the, the people all over this region. Begin to ask God, how can you use me to be part of this miracle? God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to serve? What do you want me to give? How can I bless the people around? This is the time for the church not to retreat, but to chase after, to step into this crisis. Not to be afraid, but to have courage to step out by faith right now in the midst of this. And to serve the people to let the people know the church is here. Listen, they've been trying to destroy the church for years. Ain't nobody going to destroy the church. It's God. He says, I will build my church. The church will never die. God was never, ever, ever going to let that happen. We are the church, so let's step up with confidence and boldness and be the church and step into the destiny that He has for us. Church, don't you run and hide. Let's be the church. Now, you may have to do that virtually for a while. That's okay. Figure out a way. Post scripture. Share your testimony. Grab your phone. Shoot a video. Put it out there. Let people know. You can do this. Even sitting at home. If you want to see God perform miracles... James says, ask for it. Ask for it. But look what he says in verse 3. He says this, but even when you ask and you don't get it, it's because your motives are all wrong. Here's the second thing you want to pray effectively. I must have the right motives. And at the end of the day, when I really examine my prayer request and I begin to ask, why do I want that? And I just keep peeling it back layer by layer. A lot of times it's selfish and my motives are not pure. And when my motives are not pure, don't expect that prayer to be answered. So how do you do that? Just a little side note. When I get before the Lord and I know I'm praying prayers that may benefit me or benefit my family or benefit the things that's going on around me, here's how I begin to pray. God, you know my heart. And I'm aware that sometimes my heart will lie to me. I'm aware of that. And I know that there's times I will lie to myself. And I know that the enemy will lie to me. And God, there are sometimes I believe those lies. But I'm going to get before you right now. And here's how I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray for the purest motive, with the purest heart I can pray. You know my heart, Lord. And I'm going to pray with the purest motive. If this is your will, and then I make my request. And why? Because I want to humble myself. I acknowledge him. One, I know my heart will lie to me. Two, there's sometimes I'm going to miss it. Three, there's sometimes I have pride. I want what I want, how I want it, and my motives will not be pure. And when that happens, James says, don't expect to get anything. Don't expect it. People's like, well, if you name it, claim it. I'm going to pray for a million dollars. Pray all you want for it. 
But when you don't get it, check your motives. See, it's about a heart. You can ask for it if you want to ask for it. But why? And it's that motive. And when you humble yourself with a pure heart and a pure motive, watch out because God will perform and begin to answer your prayer request in the way that you've never seen before in your life. Here's the third thing. I must have a clean life. I must have a clean heart. Would be another way to say that. James says in 5.16, an earnest prayer of a what? A righteous person. We just talked about that. Someone has a clean heart. God, give me a clean heart. Give me pure heart, pure and clean hands before you, right? May my motives be, may I be blameless before you. When I walk blameless before the Lord, my motives are unchecked and I'm asking God, are you kidding me? God's like, that's a per- just like Elijah, human just like you. Look what I did in his life. And then here's the fourth one. When I ask, though, I must ask in faith. Trust, belief, expectation, confidence. God, you will come through. I'm going to ask in faith. We see this in James chapter 1, verse 6. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. My faith is not in the government. My faith is not in the cure. My faith is not in the stock market. My faith is not in the economy. My faith is not in the world. My faith is not in myself to have enough faith. My faith is in the object of something that can never change. This world can change in a heartbeat. We saw that. My faith is not in this world. My faith is in an object that is, can never, ever, ever change. Make sure your faith and trust is in Him alone, not my works, not the people who works around me, in Him. And when my faith is in Him, do not waver for a person who has a divided soul, a divided mind, a divided heart is unsettled and is like a, it's like a boat in the wave of a sea. It's just going to be tossed like this. It's lost all bearing. One day they're up, one day they're down. One day they're in faith, one day I'm believing, believing the world and they're like this. No, 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 no. No, no, be grounded in God. Such a person, such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Why? Because they're wavering in their faith and their trust in Him alone. Now, I want to encourage you as you go back through this series and you read, go back now and read the book of James again. You can read the whole book in probably 15 minutes in the whole setting. Literally, it's that short. It's that fast. You could get through it. And say, in light of what we studied over the last several weeks, ask the Lord to speak to you. Because here's what I want for everyone. Is I want us as a community of faith, watch this. I want us, the church, the big C church. I'm not talking about Bear Life Church. I'm talking about the big C church. I want us to be a miracle in our communities. When everyone needs a miracle right now in their life, guess what? The church should step up and meet those needs. The church should step up and say, I am here for you. Like, I want to see something happen so big through this that the only explanation is God did it. When Elijah prayed, God did that. No man could do that. No man could call down fire. God did that. When that person was healed, God did it. When that miracle happened, God did it. When I got a job and I didn't think I got a job, God did it. When I came through and I lost my job and they provided for it, God did it. When something did, God did that. Like, I want us to have that type of faith. So church, don't you retreat. Yeah, you may be home for a while, stay home. You may be quarantined for a while. Don't retreat. Let's advance. And continue to push in through this crisis. Alyssa, we are not leaving. We are not going in. We are right here for you. Church, you can still be the church. You can pray for people. That's, that's the greatest thing you can do is pray for other people and pray for each other. And that's what I want to encourage you to do. Why? It's because, honestly, we need each other right now more than we've ever needed each other. And we're apart. 
You know what keeps us together? One, Christ, unity. It's in Jesus. Two, the connection through prayer for one another. And I'm going to be very honest with you. I need you now more than I've ever had in my entire life. I need you to pray for me now more than I've ever need you to pray. As God gives us wisdom, as we lead through a crisis, as we lead through a virtual community, as we lead through when we have no idea if it will be Mother's Day, it will be Father's Day, it will be when school starts back. Listen, we have no idea how long this would be. And we need wisdom. So if you would please pray for me because I am praying for you. I'm going to ask if you would just to bow your heads just for a moment. What has the Lord spoken to you today? What has he used through this message to speak into your life? In this little short Bible study, we had just walking verse by verse through the book of James through this series. And today, what has he spoken to you? Today, you realize, ah, I'm really not right before God. I need to get my heart right before him. Confess. Right now, confess. You don't have to wait till this is over. Confess right now. And God says, he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You don't have to wait. Confess now. You know, maybe you're watching this and you've never given your life to Jesus. It's Palm Sunday. We're about to go into Palm. We're about to go into Holy Week and we're about to see what's going to happen on Friday and Jesus get up out of the grave. You know, people say Sunday is a Super Bowl Sunday. Folks, every Sunday is Super Bowl Sunday. Every Sunday we're going to lift up Jesus and exalt Jesus and, and talk about Jesus. But as we go into Holy Week this week, well, maybe God's preparing your heart right now. Say, God, what do you want to do in me? What do you want to change in me? And if you're watching all over the world, I want to encourage you, give your life to Jesus today. You can do that right where you said. You could say, Jesus, I believe. I believe you came for me. I believe you died for me. And I believe you got up out of the grave for me. And as best as I know how, I yield my life to you. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Now help me follow you all the days of my life. We rejoice with you and believe in the scriptures that says if everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you just gave your life to Jesus, if you just called on his name, you, my friend, have been saved. But don't stop there. Let someone know. Tell the person sitting around you. Text someone. You personally can email me. Email me, pastor at betterlife.church. Email me and say, pastor, I just want you to know, I just gave my life to Jesus. Why? Because we want to celebrate with you. We want to celebrate with you. Let someone know. And I just want to encourage you, as we go into Holy Week, next week, Easter weekend, it's going to be amazing. You don't want to miss it. We have something very special we're putting together right now for our entire church family. But watch this. It's going to be bigger than our church family. We're going to reach tens of thousands of people because of you. Because you're going to take this serious and get the word out. While people are at home, we're going to take the word to them right into their living room. And we're going to pray that tons of people's lives are changed because of people like you. Father, thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy that's new every day. Thank you for the book of James. Thank you for James. For allowing through the Holy Spirit to pin these words to us. That God today, even 2,000 years removed from it, <laughs> it still applies to us. God, I pray for your people that we will confess our sins. That your children will turn their hearts to you. And they will be a people who walk blameless before you. Who pray effective prayers and earnest prayers that see miracles happen. Not only in their life, but in our entire world. Because of your people got together and confessed their sins. 
to become blameless before you, to move on their behalf, to change an entire world. God, we want that. We ask for that. We believe that by faith, unwavering faith, that you are good. You're going to get glory from this, and the church will advance stronger and better than ever because in the midst of a crisis, you are still faithful, and you are still good, and you are still in control. God, we can't wait to see what you're going to do in our lives, through our lives, to impact our world. For it's in your son's name I ask and we pray. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for joining us at Better Life Church. If you'd love to discover more about how you can take your next step with Christ, we'd love for you to visit betterlife.church slash next steps. There you will find help and resources for whatever step God has for you. If you enjoyed this message, we'd love for you to subscribe and be part of our community. You can also join us live on Sundays or find more resources at betterlife.church. Thanks again for joining us. And we'll see you next time.